Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15. You can also find our passage on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's message. Throughout this section of Genesis and the series that we're on, chapters 12 to 36, we are following the life of Abram. At this point, he's still Abram, not Abraham. And across the past few chapters, we've seen great acts, great moments of faith, great displays of trust in God. We've also seen times of doubt, of worry, of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty. And woven throughout that, and hopefully this has come through, is while Abram shows great times of faith and great lack of faith, his God, our God, has always, has consistently, and ever remains faithful. To that end, that really is what this section is about. It's, it, on, on one level, is about the faithfulness of Abraham, but even more so, it's about the faithfulness of our God. And to that, that gives us hope. That offers us hope to this day, for we serve the same God. We worship the God of Abraham we trust in His Word. We receive His promises and His blessings. But if we zoom back into the life of Abraham or Abram at this point, there yet remains a problem. From the beginning, God has promised him blessing. God has promised him all of these things, a mighty nation, an inheritance. Through him, other nations would be blessed. But as we go into chapter 15 this morning, he still remains childless. And while this would discourage many of us, and it discourages Abraham, as we see, um, it does not discourage our God. And in fact, God uh, makes a very clear statement this morning from our passage about His willingness to fulfill His promises. And in doing so, this sets the stage not only for Abraham, but for you and me today. One of the most important things we can know about our God, in fact, one of the most important things to know, period, is that God does what he says he will do. And because he does, he can be trusted, he can be hoped in, and we can have peace. To that end, I do invite you to follow along with me this morning as we read from God's Word, Genesis chapter 15. I'd like to read the whole chapter as we hear of God's covenant, his gracious covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. 
But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over and against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The grass withers and the flower may fall, but the word of our Lord remains faithful and stands forever. Would you please go with me once again before our Lord? as we ask Him to bless us by and through His very Word. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have heard Your Word this morning. A Word of hope, a Word of promise, a Word of Your faithfulness. It speaks of how far You are willing to go to keep what You said You will do. Lord, many of us need this this morning. Many of us come with worry, with fear, with doubt, with anxiety for various reasons, for the various trials that are before us in our lives. Lord, by your word and through your word, would you bring us peace as we remember you have yet failed to keep a promise. You provide a way for your people, and ultimately you have done so through the life of death, and resurrection of your Son. I pray now that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The great theologian O. Palmer Robertson defines a covenant, probably my favorite definition, a bond in blood sovereignly administered. This is done in his significant work, Christ of the Covenants. And I will confess this book, along with the Westminster Confession of Faith, solidified me in the reform camp. After reading the confession and taking this class with Dr. Ligon Duncan, reading the words of O. Palmer Robertson, I came to the conclusion this is true. This is how the Bible is laid out. This is what the message of the Bible is. I believe, as O. Palmer Robertson does, that understanding covenant or covenant theology is vital to understanding the biblical teaching as a whole. This understanding really deals with how God deals with man. And we would say he's done so through covenants. 
in the beginning, the covenant of works, this covenant given to Adam in the garden and his children throughout. And this covenant said, Obey me and you shall live. Disobey me and you shall die. As we know, Adam fell and we fell through him. And that's a moment of great despair. That's a moment of, oh no, we're not even but a few chapters in and we've messed up. What do we do now? Well, God, He doesn't wait very long. Just the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, well, really it's all happening in the same chapter, God offers grace. And the second covenant is thus brought forth, the covenant of grace, which says you have a need as a people, you have a need, a payment to be made, and I will pay it. I will be gracious unto you. And his promise given through his, his condemnation of the serpent, a seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. And then from there forward we see this grace unfolded over and over and over again in many ways. And here in our passage this morning we see it beautifully depicted before us. And one of the clearest depictions of the covenant. We are reminded in our passage in Genesis 15 that man is saved by faith in God. That a Savior would come. That God will provide that which is needed. But if we trust in Him... This is the message from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The Bible tells one story. And now we look at a moment of it, zooming in on Abram and on his life. And I want us to, to sit in awe of this this morning. I, I want us really to reflect upon this, this grace, this, this, this covenant of grace and what it means and what it looks like for us. We're going to see it in really two movements in our passage this morning. I want us to see how a gracious God dispels doubt and fear. We find that in the first six verses. And then in verses 7 through 21, the, the covenant act, the covenant rite, we see how God alone provides that which we need. A gracious God dispels doubt and fear, and God himself provides that which we need. He was displaying it in the life of Abram, and he continues to do so today for you and me. That being said, would you please follow along with me? And just uh, look back for just a moment, back to chapter 14. We remember, if you were with us, that Abram had just rescued his nephew, Lot. Lot became the spoils of war as Ketelamar settled a civil uprising by warring with several factions. And Abram came to Lot's rescue Upon realizing that his nephew had been kidnapped, Abram took 300-some-odd men and went and defeated these kingdoms and brought them back, their possessions, their wives, and everything that was theirs. This led the conclusion of the chapter. Two kings come to thank Abram, the king of Sodom, and Melchizedek, uh, the king of um, Salem. And Melchizedek, that wonderful, mysterious figure, he blesses God and he blesses Abram for this act of rescue. 
And we leave that scene and we enter into this one. We don't know how long a time period it was, but it simply says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God speaks to Abram, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And those words should not be overlooked. Fear not. It's a common refrain when talking to one of the angelic host or having an encounter with God. But God has to reassure His people to not be afraid of Him. God is telling Abram here, you can trust me. You do not have to be afraid of me. I am your shield. I send you forth in battle and I protect you. It is I who brings you victory. And more than that, it's a, it's a sign of blessing. God says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. You're going to get blessed by this, Abram. And Abram, he doesn't respond in fear, which some do when encountering God. He, he does not respond in questioning, Lord, um, could this be true? Could this be happening? And see, Abram's got one thing on his mind, and it goes back to, some of his early interactions with the Lord. Abram is childless. This would be significant for him. This would be significant for his life. This would be significant for his family. That's where the family name went forth. That's where your, who you were um, went through your genealogy. And so while the Lord is saying, Abram, I'm going to bless you, Abram doesn't even really give the Lord time to reflect on that. And he's like, okay, um, that's great, God, but um, I still don't have a kid. Almost as if he's worried God's going to bless him in any other way. Abram's quick to, to throw that out there. Uh, the, the greatest in my house is a servant, and he's not related to me, Eleazar. And this, is, this brings us back to the Abram we're a little more familiar with, doesn't it? We, we get highs and we get lows in his life of faith. We, we see him trusting God to leave his home, to leave his family, to leave his country. We see him trusting God when it comes time that he and Lot's possessions are so great that they cannot reside in the same land. And so he lets his nephew pick what you want. I'll take the opposite. We see him trusting God when Lot gets captured and he's in the middle of this, this civil conflict and, and Abram says to arms and 300 of his own blood relatives stand up and they go and defeat this great army. He trusts God in so many ways. He, he rests upon the hand of the Lord. But for all of those times of faith, one thing remained a doubt in his life. One thing remained uncertain for him. How could he have an heir? Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. He trusts God mightily, but yet he's afraid. He is afraid. He's done all that he could do. He has put in the effort. He's put in the work, and yet they have not produced children. Now, let me be clear here. Abram is not doubting God. Please don't hear me say that he's not trusting in who God is. He's not saying that God is unable. He is not saying that God does not love him. There's, there's none of that going on here. But in this particular area of his life, Abram is struggling with his faith. 
can you really do it, God? Can you really give this one thing to me, that which my heart desires? And as we consider that, as we reflect in that, I want to bring your attention to something really important here. It's not a main lesson of this passage, but it is significant. As Abram does this, where does he go? He goes to the Lord. You see, he has doubt. He has fear. He has worry. He has anxiety. He is uncertain that God will fulfill God's promise to him. But where does he take it? He takes it to the Lord. He takes it to the one who can answer. He takes it to the one he does trust even as he's doubting. And so while I, I bring forth his, his struggle in faith, also look at the, the weight of his faith. Do you and I share that this morning? When we're doubting, when we're worrying, when we're unsure, particularly of something that the Lord has promised, do we go to him? Do, do we go to the one we're doubting? Do we go to the one that we are struggling with? God, I don't know what's going on here, but you're the only one that can do anything. So to you, here I come. Oh, that we would have Abram's faith. Even in his time of wrestling, oh, that we would be that trusting in the Lord. And while that's going on, and, and Abram really demonstrates for us what faith and, and wrestling with our faith looks like, I don't want you to miss another major aspect of this passage. Look how patient our God is. Again and again, Abram, oh, how is this going to be? How will this happen? What will we have to do? What's, going to, what's it going to take, Lord? And God sits back and he listens. He doesn't respond in anger. God had every right to respond in anger. What do you mean you're not trusting? What do you mean I'm not? Like He could have. God could have just said, I've said it. There it is. But the Lord lovingly responds to these complaints, responds to this, this moment, moment of, of, of lacking in faith. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then in a, and again, in a sign of blessing and in a sign of promise, he's brought outside. He looks up to the heavens. And I like to think, if any of you have, have been... Um, uh, backpacking or, or deep in the woods, uh, probably for me the most remarkable moment was a Colorado um, sky late at night, no lights around for miles. There are stars that we didn't even realize were there. The light pollution kind of diffuses things and just looking up. And I imagine it was a night like that for Abram where he looked up and there were stars that he didn't even realize were present. And God says, well, all right, go ahead, count them. Come on, I'll wait paraphrasing here, but he's like, go ahead. Abram, I can't, I can't count on God. God's like, that's right. And what's implied in there is, I can. God can count them. He, he, he does know those stars. He knows their name. He knows their number. He's told them to be where they are, to live as long as they do, and they're obeying him to this day. But God says, if you look at those stars, that's how your descendants will be. Your descendants. Your relatives from your blood. Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to. So shall your offspring be. And at that, remember, he's coming to God. He's got this struggle. He's, he's wrestling. God promises. God gives him a display. And then some of the most powerful words in, here in verse 6. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
Abram could not fulfill this promise on his own. I don't, I don't want to, to be crass, but he and his wife were actively participating in that which is required to have children, and they could not produce children. They were doing mechanically that which needed to be done, and it was not happening. He could not produce a child, despite his best efforts. It was not possible. That's not to say it was not possible. It was not possible through him. But God said, it will be so. And we just got to go a few more chapters, and guess what? It happens. Why? Not because of Abram's effort, because God declared it. It is the Lord's provision that grants Abram a child. And if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this clearly, and I hope you see this in Abram's life. It's the exact same for you and for me today. We don't come to God with our faith and with our works and go, hey, God, look how great I am. Now bless me for all that I am for you. No, God says, you are mine. Therefore, go be a blessing. God declares over us who we are. He forgives us through His Son. He rescues us from ourselves. And then out of that, because of that, we can then go and glorify Him. We, we are no different than Abram. We cannot produce. We cannot provide. We, we cannot create that which is needed. But God, out of His love, provides for us. And note the shift here for Abram. Note, note the significant change. He's questioning. He's wondering. He's doubting. He's worrying. And then he's done. God says... This is how it will be. And he trusted the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. That's what faith does for us. Faith in God says God will do that which needs to be done. God will provide. God will care for me as my rock and as my shield. I will not fear. In a lot of ways for us, fear is a lack of faith in God. Fear says God cannot or God will not do what He's promised to do. At the same time, we're told to have righteous fear in the Bible. Where um, The Bible tells us to fear the Lord. And so righteous fear is afraid that God will do exactly what He's promised. And what has He promised? He's promised judgment for those who do not believe. It's not a coincidence that every time... Someone has an encounter with God in the Bible. Every time an angel shows up, the almost, well, I shouldn't say every time, almost every time the first words out are fear not. Why? Because God's presence, God's judgment is so overwhelming before them, they say, woe is me. But the Lord and His host have to remind them again and again, do not be afraid. Why? Are they sinless? Are they pure? Are they holy? Are they righteous? Not on their own but because God is saying, this is who you are. Not because of who you think you are, but because of who God says you are. You don't worry, you don't fear, and you don't doubt. And so faith is vital for us in our lives, and it was vital in the life of Abram. And we see that in these verses, but it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. This would be enough. The first six verses would be enough. The Lord says, it will be so, and Abram trusted him, and it is so. But the Lord wanted to display once and for all that he will fulfill this promise, and even more so foreshadow how he's going to fulfill this promise ultimately. 
And we see this in this beautiful covenant act in um, the, the latter two-thirds of our passage. And so Abram asked, how will I see this? How, how will I know that I will possess this? And the Lord goes into a, a covenant ritual, a covenant process. And oh, if I had the time to, to lay out um, uh, Eastern um, covenant law to you. But we have God declaring who he is. You have the one making the covenant, declaring who he is and declaring his relationship with that, those he's making a covenant with. Showing his authority, showing his ability to make the covenant. A bond in blood sovereignly administered by God. And then you have God telling him what is to be done. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over and against the other, except for the birds he did not cut in half. I will just make one comment on that. You may be wondering why these animals, why three years, why not the birds. Um, I will give you the words of Calvin. I don't know. We are unsure. We can speculate uh, rationale for that. These animals um, would have been used in sacrifice, and so they were common animals to be used in rituals before God. Uh, but we want to be very careful um, on speculating the, the precise reason for these animals. And to that point, we do know that this isn't a sacrifice. There's no altar being made. There's no fire set before them. Um, that Abram would have been very familiar with, but the Lord has this unique moment, this, this unique interaction in mind. And I, I say that, and this is a ceremony that was practiced. Uh, treaty ceremonies, covenant-making ceremonies, these were, um, while not common, weren't unusual in this time. Uh, again, um, I just note Calvin on this. Um, Calvin says that uh, this treaty uh, was practiced um, during this time. And in fact, we can look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18, as proof of its happening. There's actually a condemnation in Jeremiah 34 um, of the people not following covenant promise as, as they'd walked through the animals. But while it's one thing to make a covenant treaty with another, uh, to make a promise uh, to um, say that we will interact with each other in this treaty, this covenant, this agreement. It's another thing entirely when that's done between man and between God. This is what makes this event, this moment significant, that it makes this moment unique. It's what makes this so powerful for us. Because really what is said in this ritual, the items are set apart, the animals are cut in half, and the two parties were to walk through celebrating the unity they had together. We are united in between this division. There's unity in the middle here. There would also be some symbolic um, or symbolism in the cutting of the animals. Often it would be said that so be it to me as these animals if I fail my covenant. May I be split in two. May I forfeit my life depending on the severity of the covenant if I break this vow. Blood would be shed. Sacrifice would have to be made. A bond in blood, sovereignly administered. And so this is not something to do lightly. 
That this is not one of those, I promise, and then you cross your fingers and then you break it. This is, this is a big deal. This is a weighty matter. This is something to contemplate and to reflect upon. And put yourself in Abram's shoes. You're saying, I will uphold the promises of this covenant. I will do that which needs to be done, or I will die. And he's saying that to God, who knows what's going on, who keeps his promises, who sees all things, who knows our heart. I mean, we know that Abram doesn't go through, but I don't even know if I could have. I don't even know if I could have stood before it with the intent to walk through at that promise. Because I know God, and Abram knew God. He knew God's faithfulness. He knew his own heart. He knew his own life. But so did God. God knew Abram as well. So much so, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. Note what's absent there. Abram. Abram did not enter into the ritual. Abram did not walk through the pieces. The presence of the Lord did. Now this is significant, the fire pot and uh, the smoke. God often in Scripture um, displays His presence through fire. Um, uh, uh, and we've talked about this in earlier sections, but you should always read through the Abrahamic um, uh, life cycle and, and have images of the Exodus. Um, when they're, the people of God are wandering in the desert, what does he send before them as his presence? A, a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire. But God walks through to seal the covenant. What is significant about that? Well, it shows a few things. One, God is so willing to keep His promise and to make sure this covenant takes place and is accomplished that God walked through. God said, it will be done. Because the curse would have been there. God was saying, if I don't fulfill it, may I die. If I fail, may I die. If it is not true, may I die. He took both the blessing... I will see it done and the potential consequence or else my life be forfeit. It also signified how much God loved Abram. God did not let him walk through. God did not let him walk through. Just like in the garden when God put an angel there with a flaming sword and said they will not get to the tree the, the fruit of the tree of eternal life, lest they live forever. That was mercy. Why? Because God did not want them to live eternally in sin, to live in rebellion. Here, God did not want Abram to fail at this covenant, and so God walked through for him. Could Abram have received a greater sign from God that this will be fulfilled? Can you even think of one? I mean, the only thing I could think comparable would be for God to miraculously produce a child right there, just for Abram to say, God, I don't know where this kid's going to come from, and, and God said, here you go. That's the only thing I could think of more miraculous than what took place. But instead, God said, I covenant with you, Abram. I 
bind myself to you, before me, before God, the judge, to keep this, to uphold this, and to see it carried out. Church, I cannot emphasize enough the significance of this. Because let, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's, let's, let's think about this um, from our perspective. What is being said here? God will provide that which His people need, even going so far as being willing to take on the curse Himself so that His people might have the blessing. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that ring a bell? Can you think of a, a, an instance, a circumstance in the biblical narrative where that was carried out? What is your greatest need today? Your need is to be made right before your God. For you stand in judgment of Him. For you are a covenant breaker. You have violated the covenant of works, which says, Obey me perfectly and you shall live. Disobey me and you shall die. We've confessed this morning already in our service that we have broken that covenant. And we deserve death. At the same time, we can't make it right. We cannot on our own save ourselves. There is a very real reason that that middle section, in the middle section of your bulletin, says God forgives us in Christ. Not ourselves, not our abilities, not our faith, not our works. In Christ. So much so that we double down. We put it as the heading and then we recite it in the conclusion. In Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Maybe you find yourself this morning saying, Aaron, that's, that's great and all. Um, I don't see the tie though. I, I get it that God provided for Abram. But what Jesus did, it was in a different time, a different epoch. Um, it's, it's not the same. Uh, to that, uh, I will quote the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And just in case we miss it, verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. If you are here today and you're trusting in Jesus Christ by faith, you are verification that God fulfills promises. God promised Abram a people, an inheritance, a nation, a mighty nation who will bless the world, will change the world. If you are in Christ, you have been grafted into that family tree. And every time God looks at you and he looks at me, he says, I told you so. Again and again and again and again, we testify that God is a promise-keeping God. We did not die for our own sin, just like Abram did not walk through the covenant right. God knew Abram could not keep his part of the deal, and God knew that we could not keep ours. The faith that Abram had in God is the same faith you and I need today. Trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will be saved. Payment has to be made for violation of the covenant. But praise be to God, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, 
who walked through the covenant for both parties. He grants us His righteousness and takes on our curse. Blessed is the one who trusts in the name of the Lord. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. That is our Savior. That is what's offered to you and to me today. It's the same offering to Abram when God says, I will provide. Still today he says, I will provide for you. And we praise him for it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, what a comforting and assuring passage this is. Lord, it, is, it, it brings so much peace to my own heart. As I know my heart, I know my life, I know my sin, I know my struggles. And yet, I know my Savior. And while I can't do it, He did. And while I cannot uphold it, He does. And even now, we rest soundly knowing that Jesus Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, praying daily on our behalf. Lord, we praise you for the covenant. We praise you for that covenant of grace brought forth in the garden and continuing all throughout your scriptures. We praise you for this moment in the life of Abram where we see it clearly administered. And Lord, we praise you that in um, a few chapters we will see it upheld through the giving of a son. Father, would you give us the faith of Abram to trust in you each and every day of our lives. Provide that which we need through your son and in Christ we pray. Amen.